Hi, and welcome to the Miracle Larry podcast. I'm Dr. Jack Cush, the moderator of this great production. I'm joined by my best friend, Larry Kelly. Hey, Larry, how are you today? I'm good, Jack. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Larry Kelly, he is also known as Miracle Larry. He is the subject of this podcast, but it's more than just Miracle Larry. It's all about the pandemic. And what we're saying is the upside of the pandemic. What do you want to get out of this podcast, Larry? Oh, my God, Jack. Hey. You know, I, I, I'm fascinated that I, I've been speaking lately. I've been doing some speaking. I'm fascinated that people even listen to what comes out of my mouth. So um, I have no expectations for this podcast. I'm sort of excited about seeing where it goes. Right. Um, but I hope it can be a little inspiring because I have learned um, over the years that uh my my story and what happened to me is is inspiring to people and um i like that and we'll see what happens but uh this was your idea so it is it's a, it's a grand <laughs> thumbs idea up or thumbs down right. <laughs> well this is the inaugural inception episode of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the many stories um surrounding larry's story and really what is what we think is the upside of COVID. And we think that this pandemic thing changed our lives in many, many ways. So we're really going to make this about Larry and his story. But at the same time, really, when you hear Larry talk about the pandemic, he talks so much about the other stories around him, his family, his friends, the nurses, the doctors, the New York City at the time. And we think that's fodder for a great discussion. So that's what we're looking to do. So again, yeah, weekly, we're the upside. We're going to have many guests too, Jack. We're gonna oh have... yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to, you know, I, I think we have um, uh, Tom Hanks in week three, and um, <laughs> and Bridget Bardot is going to make a special appearance for us. So um, our mission is to inform, inspire, and bring together an audience that can relate to this miracle Larry story, his message, his experiences, his life pivots that really have emanated from this. So, um, Larry. Our first episode this week. What's the title? What are we going to talk about? Uh, I think we should. Um, I think we should introduce ourselves, Jack. I think. Uh, I. I think we should let people know just who we are and how we got together. Um, I. I'll do you first. The. the uh, I, I. I have known this man, Dr. Jack Cush, um, since kindergarten. Um, we are lifelong years. friends. What? Sixty-two years. Sixty-two years. <laughs> Jack, don't ever tell my oh, age oops. on film, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I should have said 78 years, and then people would say, man, you guys look good. <laughs> I've known Jack since kindergarten. We used to walk, you know, people don't realize back, back when we were kids, your parents took you to school the first day of kindergarten just to show you how to get there. And then it was... You're on your own the second day of school. Just see that group of kids, just follow them. So uh, Jack and I walked to school from kindergarten every day. We went through elementary school together. We went through junior high together. Um, we went through high school together. And, uh, I, you know, I always said that, you know, we've known each other and another group of buddies for forever. Um, but Jack and I, our lives inexplicably crossed in March, 2020. Um, and I, I think we're sort of uh, 
bound um, for the rest of our lives in some sort of um, historic way. But um, this man is uh, this man has his own incredible story, which we'll probably get to in future episodes. But uh, this is Dr. Jack Cush, and he's uh, he's uh, one of the top rheumatologists in his field. He's uh, respected and well known, and he's brilliant in his own right. And he's my dear friend. And there you go. Excellent, thank you, Larry. So let me introduce um, Lawrence Kelly, who um, sat behind me in kindergarten. Um, our kindergarten teacher was Mrs. Deuce, and I want to be clear that I was her favorite because when it came to nap time, I slept under her desk. You were out there in the in the gallery. See, but as I'm probably going to do many times, I have to correct you. Mrs. Deuce was our first grade teacher. Ms. Crago was our kindergarten teacher. Just want to throw that out there. Ms. Deuce was first grade. I want to remind the audience, Larry survived COVID and then was left with brain damage. So <laughs> you're going to have to make up your own mind about uh, whether who's telling the truth here. So let me move on from, um, we, we, we got out of kindergarten and um, yeah, we're pretty much in every class. Um, early on in the elementary years, Larry was already known as a, a performer, a raconteur, a guy who was going, a kid who was was a leader. And um, our next seminal moment was, I believe it was, I'm going to say third grade, um, when you had already been acting as a child actor in local theater and whatnot. And you were known for this. You know, you could sing, you could, um, you know, you could act. And, and none of us could do that. And we had our own local yearly production for third grade. And they didn't give you the lead, although you clearly deserved it because they were tired of giving you the lead. Um, and I went for the lead and almost got it. And instead, it, the, the play was Rip Van Winkle. And I, what was my role? You remember these things. Oh, I know. I remember. Van right? Brummel. Were you Van Brummel and I was Rip Van Winkle? No, Jimmy Gagliardi was Rip Van Winkle. I was <laughs> Bo Brummel. And then so um, so that was like the one time I came close to competing with Larry in um, in theater, but that's what we did in our upbringing. We competed. Our lives were sports. Our lives were being quick with our wits. Our lives were, you know, being with a group of friends that formed us. And um, and really, we we're to this day we're an amazing group um, called the Mudders, and that we're almost like thirty strong and very close to each other. And and it really began back in you know junior high, high school, and and back in elementary school so um larry went on uh he studied theater um uh was in the theater did a number of things got his bachelor's degree and then advanced degrees to become a teacher and later was um a, a teacher in the new york city public school system where he was um a, a principal in the bronx and um and, and uh, harlem, harlem, not the bronx. in harlem sorry sorry and then ultimately retired and then in his retirement came down with COVID. So uh, we're going to get into, again, more details along the way. Um, but Larry, give everyone your sort of your CV, your resume um, that you would give um, about your training and your upbringing, not your, beyond your upbringing, um, that people get to know more about you. Um, yeah, you know, el elementary school, you, you, you talked about the plays we did and uh, um, 
when I was when I was 11 years old, which I believe 11 is sixth grade, um, the, the school had a flag day ceremony that was out. And the principal came up and asked me if I would narrate um, this flag day ceremony. I said, yeah, sure, okay. Just give, me, give, me, give me paper, I'll do what I do. Um, but while I was doing it, this woman approached me after um, this flag day ceremony and said, uh, what's your name? And I said, Larry. And she said, uh, um, the workshop is doing a production of a thousand clowns. We want you to audition. So I, I didn't even know what it was. I had a thousand clowns. I don't know. Um, well, to make a long story short, because I could talk forever about this. Um, I auditioned. I, I got the script. I read it. And I auditioned and wound up getting the part and played at 11 years old, opposite Brian Dennehy, the actor in A Thousand Clowns. And uh, that was one of the most um, really pivotal moments in my life. I, uh, it was such an incredible experience to work with these really incredibly talented people. And obviously when you're 11 years old and at the end of the play, you walk out on stage and stand at the end of the stage and the audience goes into thunderous applause when you're bowing. Um, okay, this is good. <laughs> it's good. And I, I sort of, um, I, I knew then that I was going into the arts in my life. Um, um, and but and and I, I, I always had a knack, Jack. I always had, it's back in Sable. You know, the, the local newspaper was called the Suffolk County News, which was, you know, everybody has their local newspaper wherever they live in the United States. For ours in Sable, it was the Suffolk County News. And I, I always had an act for getting my name in the paper when I was a kid. But there was there was a whole article about my performance in that production of A Thousand Clowns. And the, the headline was like weird, you know, when you're an 11 year old kid, audiences marvel at lad and workshop production. And I was like, wow, that's and that's a little weird, but so I had a little bit of, you know, I, I was sort of well known in our town because the newspaper, you know, had my name in every now and then. So to, to move on from there, I I, I, st I started the arts and I went into the arts and I left Sable. Um, I, um, what, what, what did you want, how far did you want me to go? Well, know. first, I want to say about Suffolk County News, we would usually look for you in that, but be usually in police blotter, not, you know, <laughs> um, and, you know, little petty things that we did as kids. So, but yeah, much to our surprise, we we're on page two or three, you know, in, 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 in the in the local playhouse and whatnot. That was really, that was different. I want to ask you, though, what, you know, you were, and your whole life, you know, you were, you were really into sports, you were very accomplished in sports. Um but theater is different than sports, or is it? Is it the same kind of satisfaction or feedback? Why did you end up liking it so much? That's a great question. You know, um, when you're in school, when you're in grade school, I had such a, a big um, conflict within myself because you cannot do sports in theater. You know, there are the jocks and there are the theater geeks. And I had to, you know, I climbed the fence on both of those clicks. And um, I always had to choose whether I was gonna do a sport or whether I was gonna sit out a season and do the play, um, which I loved 
just as much as I love the sports. Um, but to answer your question about whether they're similar, it is pretty amazing. Um, a buddy of mine that we'll talk about at some point, and he'll actually be on here because he's my writing partner. Um, we we did a we did a two play we did a two character play for uh, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS the uh, the um, um, charity um, and we, we we gave all the money that we made to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS and that play was by David Mamet's called Speed the Plow and it's such a difficult play because you never have a moment to stop. And there's so many things to memorize. Mamet writes in this you know, staccato, um, the ums and the ahs, and, and those are all in the script. Every, he puts that in. His, it's very difficult to memorize. And Steve and I, yeah, you, we had to be athletes to actually do that production. Because once you walk on stage, you're never off. And for an hour and a half, you got to bang this stuff out. So, yeah. You know, acting in the arts theater is theater is an athletic event. I mean, it's uh, the, the 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 adrenaline and the the energy, which is why actors spend so much time taking care of their body, just like athletes do. Um, I mean, actors do too. So yeah, Jack, to answer your question, very similar. Very similar. so. So then you you're in the theater. You're studying theater. While you're in the theater, you meet your wife. You marry, you meet Dawn, you marry Dawn. At some point, how do you transition away from that, although it's always part of your life, uh, into education? Great, great. Um, and let me tell you how I met Dawn. That's, I met her at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I had spent one year up at uh, in SUNY, uh, at SUNY Oneonta, uh, doing theater up there. Um, and uh, realized that you know I wanted to be an actor and I was sitting one day on this bench overlooking these gorgeous mountains upstate New York um, in Oneonta and saying you want to be an actor what are you doing up here in the mountains what are you doing up here in the mountains I, so I I I left Oneonta and I didn't know what I was going to do and uh it's an incredible story. Yeah, it, it's all about it's all about the people that come into your life that you remember that had an impact that they don't even know they had an impact. That how 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 happenstance is so much a part of where we end up. You know, um, I, a, a buddy of mine, as you know, from Sable, Ronnie Eicher, lived behind us. Ronnie Eicher, I, I, he had a built-in pool. He's the only one in our high school who had a built-in pool. <laughs> so he had all the parties, right? Um, I was over there one day in the afternoon. He had these two young people. This was after I left Oneonta, not knowing what I was going to do with my life. You know, I knew I wanted to be an actor. I didn't know how to go about it at all. So at Ronnie's, they're cleaning the pool. These two people are cleaning the pool. And one's a very attractive, they're both attractive young people. And uh, they, they just started a conversation with me. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd like to be an actor. I don't really know what I'm doing. She goes, why don't you go to the school I went to? I said, uh, what was that? She goes, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I had never heard of it. Um, so I, I never heard of it. She said, well, you can send away to the catalog. Those days, it wasn't the computers and stuff. There was no internet. You did everything by snail mail. You know. Um, and so I found out about the American Academy of Dramatic Arts 
through this young lady who had just graduated, who was cleaning Ronnie Eicher's pool. Not a glowing endorsement for the school, by the way. <laughs> but, but, but that's how I auditioned for the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I found out about it. Uh, I was given a, uh, a Catholic Actors Guild scholarship, so the whole school was paid for um, by this scholarship. And uh, it was it was presented to me at a luncheon, which was another great story, by uh, the actor Cyril Richard. There was this whole luncheon for the Actors Guild. St. Malachy's Church in Midtown is the actor. All their meetings and stuff. And uh, Cyril Richard played Captain Hook in the Peter in the Peter Pan movie with Mary Martin. Um, so that's Cyril Richard very you know, I was like this young, 18 years old and sitting there and, and our recipient of our award is, and you know, anyway. So I went to the American Academy and Dawn was there. Um, how I met Dawn, I didn't know about her. She knew about me and she tells the story and she'll come on here and tell it. It'd probably be different than how I'm telling it. But uh, she tells the story that um, the, the Academy used to give us free tickets for Broadway shows. And uh, we were at a show um, called The National Health. It was a, um, a British comedy about their national health system. And, uh, and uh, Dawn, how she tells it, she saw me in the, we sat in the mezzanine. She saw me in a mezzanine. She says, I was holding court, whatever that means. And I'm assuming it meant I was telling a story and people were listening. You know, I don't know, you know, but she said, she looked at me across the room. That's what she says. We'll bring her on at some point to verify this. And uh, she said, she told her friends, see, see that guy over there? Uh, that's the man I'm gonna marry. And then she tells that story, never met me. Now we did meet that Halloween. There was a Halloween party and she was dressed as Bonnie Parker of Bonnie and Clyde. And uh, <laughs> my roommate was this tall, really good looking, um, you know, Midwestern guy, blonde, blue eyed. Um, the, uh, and he went as Joe Buck and I went as Ratso Rizzo from Midnight Cowboy. I had my teeth blacked out, my hair, I was, I was dirty. I was like, <laughs> and that's how I met Dawn. So she fell in love with Ratso Rizzo and uh, hasn't much changed that much over the years. So. I met Dawn at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So she stopped calling you Ratso. And, uh, <laughs> and, you, bo and you both went into education. Well, uh, that's, that's a long time later, Jack. I mean, there's a, big, there's a decade in there we haven't talked about. You know, the... the uh, um, well, let's, we can fast go faster through that decade and, okay. we, and, get, we, and get into we, teaching. We had successes in the New York theater. Dawn was working. I was working. I wasn't getting a lot of work. We, we both had to supplement. We had so many different jobs. Um, one of my big jobs was in the restaurant business, of course. I was a bartender, then rose up to be general manager of the cabaret club. But uh, the, uh, everybody, you know, in the 70s and 80s in New York, um, Everybody who worked in a restaurant was an artist of some sort. They, they were doing sure. something else. No one, no one was actually in the restaurant business. Um, so the, uh, um, I was, we were doing that. I wrote a play. Um, 
uh, my biggest success in the theater. I wrote a play that played off Broadway in uh, 1986, and uh, it played uh, five cities after that. Um, we had thought, you know, I had read Moss Hart's Act One, um, and in Act One, when Moss Hart combined with uh, George Kaufman to write, um, uh, oh, I forget what, either you can't take it with you or the man who came to dinner, one of them, um, right after he wrote it, went on Broadway, he moved to Park Avenue. So of course, Don and I thought we were moving to Park Avenue, right? <laughs> that's you know, that's the way it happened. And it didn't happen that way. Um, so we had, the, the play made me a grand total of like $35,000, which supposedly is pretty good. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't enough to live on. And the play took four years of my life, um, uh, a year and a half to write and four years to get it produced. Um, but the, uh, so we, Dawn, we, after nine years of marriage, we decided to start a family. And uh, Dawn was eight months pregnant. The play had run its course. Um, I had spent all the money. There was no money coming in. Dawn, um, Dawn was eight months pregnant, so she lost her job. There was no money coming in. And we remember this day, Dawn and I always remember this day. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment on 78th Street. And uh, we were staring at a brick wall, sitting on a couch. She's eight months pregnant. The bill collectors are calling. And uh, she says, uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I kept, I kept looking at her and saying, I don't know. I gave it my shot. You got any ideas? You know, she said, uh, like, what are we going to We stared at a brick wall, Jack, for two hours. And we remember this day because it was the day we both left the theater. And uh, I just turned to her after two hours and said, uh, we have to go back to school. And uh, we went back to school. And uh, that's how we, we went into education. And uh, and it was a great job for both of us. Um, I was an English teacher. I started as an English and drama teacher. So the city, I thought it was the greatest job in the world. The city was paying me to stand in front of a classroom of listeners and talk about great works of literature. Got a better job than that. <laughs> you know, so anyway, the uh that's how I, that's how we went into education and uh loved every minute of it. 25 years devoted to that. So Getting into this Miracle Larry story, which is going to be a real eye-opener for most people, it's going to be a shock, it's going to be um, really amazing. I want to know, though, many many people think that your future defines you, the things that you that happen to you define you. I kind of believe that it's, the, it's your history that defines how you'll respond in the future. So what do you think about, you know, in your, your background made you tough enough to survive COVID? Like where does, where, what happened? Was it, you know, not getting the lead for Rip Van Winkle that gave you, you know, the, the fight? Was it your wrestling career and, you know, bridging to avoid a pin that gave you the fight? Where, where did you get this, this toughness to survive? Well, that's a, that's um 
Jack, I, that's not a simple question. <laughs> no, I know. I know. <laughs> that's not a simple. I mean, but your history is uh, vitally important here to, to understand how could this guy live through this? You know as well as I do. Uh, there's Larry Kelly that you know, and then this persona happened in the uh, in in spring of 2020, where this uh, this miracle Larry was was created. I don't know what else to say, but Larry Kelly became miracle Larry, and I'm still. And this podcast is wonderful for that because it's going to help me answer questions that I have of who is Miracle Larry and how did that all come about? In terms of strength, Jack, um, you know, that, that, that's something we're going to get into when we really delve into um, what happened to me. Um, I will say just briefly that everything that happens in your life um, um, adds to building your strength. I will say this though, I, I was consistent with myself when I was going through what I went through. I, uh, I was honest with myself that I was trying to live but all the crap that came out of my mouth when I was growing up about life and about, I tried to, okay, now, now you have to prove this. And to give you an example, I, it always bothered me the way Hollywood portrayed the end of the line. From Brian's song, you know, Brian's song was a big movie when we were kids, had a huge impression on me. The bed scene, you know, with, with James Caan lying there and, you know, um, with Billy D. Williams and going quietly. I, I, I've always loved the Dylan Thomas poem, um, do not go gently into that good night. Um, and I, it used to bother me with Hollywood because I would say, Does, isn't anybody angry that they're dying? Isn't anybody like pissed? Every Hollywood movie, everybody's going, yes, it's time to go, it's time to go. And I understand that. But in my mind, I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere. What do you, you know? What, you know? I, the, uh, I, so I saw so I'd always sell friends. I'd say, you know, I, I, did, I wish there was a movie that just showed somebody pissed off that they were dying. And uh, and there was one movie that touched on that, and it was Mystic River, with 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 Sean Penn, when his daughter is murdered in the park, and he goes. It was so different than any other scene in a movie when he goes to the park and it takes five guys to hold him back in his anger of his daughter in the park. Because usually people go, they get sad. But this was a different scene. And so I, I thought about that later. But strength, um, I just didn't want to die. Well, um, I think first off, as I'm a doctor, I've seen a lot of people die. I've seen a lot of people go through that final stages of life. And it's never like Hollywood. It's very individual. It's very painful, either for the person who's stricken or for the family that's affected. And also for the people who are caring for them. It's, it's, it's a tremendous 
um, emotional burden for everyone who goes through that. So I think you're right. Um, and I and and you wonder what their stories are that brought them to that point. Let me. Um, I think we're going to touch on that. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to introduce myself to the audience because I'm I'm going to be the guy that's, that's sort of guiding the podcast, but I'm also a physician. And uh, I, after high school, I went to College St. John's. I wanted to go into medicine because my uh, everybody in my family sort of died young. My parents. Uh, both had cancer and died when I was very young. And um, I think that was why I thought I could probably, you know, go, do something in medicine. And, you know, I got, I went to medical school in Grenada and St. George's University. And I did my residency in New York City at Coney Island. And I went to Dallas to become a rheumatologist where I thought I'd just hang a shingle. And I ended up with an academic career doing research and teaching and really having my cake and eating it too. So, you know, um, I'm good at what I've done and what I do. I work hard at that. I I love, just like you love performing, I love teaching, instructing, sharing. You know, it's when you can give and share in what you do and what I do, man, it's a good day, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to I ask you in your 20s and 30s, who were the two or three people that you met that defined you, that really influenced you and oh who God. you later became? Let me tell you mine while you think of yours. Very easy questions you throw. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what you think of yours. <laughs> mine are, um, number one, guy you met, Charlie Modica, the chancellor of the St. George's Medical School. Um, a charismatic, unbelievable man. My second one is probably Dr. Sander Friedman, who was my chief of medicine in New York. And then later, Dr. Peter Lipsky. Three men, I have to put in there, probably one of my coaches, Dr. Gerald Odom. Not Dr. Gerald Odom, um, famous Florida football coach, all three father figures, all, all, and I didn't have a father, all three strong mentors, all, all four, you know, unbelievable uh, in the way that they pushed me to do something better, better than I thought that I could do. Clearly, you must have people like that in your life. Um. In, in, ter in terms of people that had an impact on the trajectory of my life, um, th there are several. One in particular, when, when I decided to go back to college. Now, remember, I'm not, a, I'm not 18 years old at this point. I'm in my mid-20s, um, and I'm deciding to go back, or even, you know, 26, 27. Um, now I have a child, and... Uh, I have to work and go to school. Um, so I, I, I applied to Hunter College in New York City. Um, when I went the first day to sign up for classes, in those days, you know, nothing was computers. Remember, there were no computers. The, uh, you had to stand online at each table for each class for like hours. And then when you got to the front of the table, uh, the class was sold out. You know, I, I went home and that very first day at Hunter. I was there like eight hours. I have a job that I have to get. I went home. Literally, I was crying at dawn. I'm going, I can't go back to school. I don't know how I'm going to go back to school. I have, I have no idea how I'm going to go back to school. And uh, it turns out a buddy of mine was the admissions director at Dowling College out by us in Oakdale. Um, 
der Korsopsleben. Und ich sagte, Steve, I had to go back to school. I, I said, how does anybody do this when they're this age and make a living and try and try and survive? He said, we'll come to Dowling. He said, well, you know, I live in New York City. He said, yeah, so what? come to Dowling. He said, well, I'll set up your schedule. I'll, do, I'll, I'll set up your whole schedule. I'd love to have you here at Dowling. But, well, you know, yeah, yeah. And so this man, Stephen Darby, made it so easy for me to go back as an adult, which made me realize you know, there's a different aspect of adult education than there is for kids coming out of high school. There's a, that there has to be accommodations that are made, you know, for, for adults that have to make a living while they're going to school. And uh, Stephen made it so easy for me that, um, so is, I, it, I, I look at him as somebody who had such an impact on my life and didn't even know it. There are others, you know, my writing partner today is one of my best friends. Um, and uh, he owned the uh, the hottest cabaret club in New York City for years, Steve McGraw. It's his name, Steve McGraw. He'll be on the show at some point. Um, he, uh, I, he, he always believed in me and I joke with him that, you know, we're devoted to each other. Um, he actually, um, we call ourselves one hit wonders. So, um, because uh, he, he, he has an incredible story too. And he wrote a book that was made into a screenplay that was made into a movie, a TV movie. Um, but Steve always, you know, we always connected and he made me his general manager. And I, I joked with him, I said, Steve, I said, I'm so devoted to you. I said, you fed my family for nine years. You know, just having your business put food on my family's table for nine years. How do you forget something like that, right? Anyway, um, so like Charlie Morica, who made you a doctor, um, Steve just helped me survive in New York City. And, uh, tell who? Tell one story from working at the cabaret that you want to tell the audience. <laughs> oh, there's so many. Steve and I always talk about this. It, it, it was the most incredible night ever. Um, we used to go a little late. We used to go a little late. So uh, there was this in thing New York. That means what? After hours. Should be after hours. It should be four a.m. Okay, we're not really quoting that time. But go ahead. <laughs> we did close the door, but you know, and we turned out the lights. But, you know, right. The, okay. Uh, um, so, but they had a. Uh, there was a thing that was happening in New York called Night of a Hundred Stars. It was at Radio City Musical. And um, it, it was Night of a Hundred Stars, exactly what it was. This big gala that they had. I don't know what they were raising money for, but every star was there. Well, there was there was a place in the neighborhood um, called Cafe Central. Um, and, you know, everybody, everybody knew each other. You know, there was this whole bartender, manager, mafia in the Upper West Side in those days. Everybody knew each other. And uh, um, you would go to each other's place and spend money because we, we all made money for each other, you know. Um, so this night we get a phone call because we had, we had a little stage upstairs at Steve McGraw's that, you know, the, they were coming over from after Night of 100 Stars um, to come to our place. They wanted some place to go after um, this, this gala at Radio City. So Jack, 
I'm working the room. It's me, Steve, and one other guy because it was after four o'clock, right? Every there were, that room sat 65 people. And every star in that room was bigger. Everyone that walked in the door was a bigger star than the one that walked in behind them. Every seat was filled with, I'm serving, you know, bourbon Manhattans to Elizabeth Taylor, who's saying, thank you, Larry. Robin Williams goes on stage and does 45 minutes off the top of his head. Cher goes up and sings three or four songs. Liza goes up and sings three or four. And Steve and I talk about this. Like, the only ones there are me, Steve, and I think a friend of ours, Janet Taylor, worked that night. And an old buddy, um, uh, an old Vietnam vet buddy, I, I'm still friends with him, Jonathan Polanski. He was, the four of us were working this room. And everybody, yeah, it was just, it was crazy. But that was, a that that was, a night will never so so people always put on Facebook, you know, um who who's the most famous person you met? I can't answer that question because there's so many famous people in the course of my 60 somewhat years um that we've met and, and you know and actually broke bread with. And so it, it's that that was an incredible night. And it was just the you know. And Elizabeth Taylor was walking into this this cabaret club, furs on and bejeweled and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. she liked Jack Daniels. Well, so <laughs> at that point in my life, my major claim to fame was having met Ed Cranepool. So, um, <laughs> you know, and the audience doesn't want to know who he is. So, yes, they do. Yes, they know who he is. Our first, audience is going to know who he is. We've got an old right. audience. First baseman for New York Mets. All right. This had, we've come to the end of the podcast. Um, you know, I want to let the audience know that you can find this podcast on your favorite podcast channel. We're going to publish this every Thursday morning. Um, and you can look for it on your podcast channel, whether that's uh, iTunes, Apple CarPlay, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, you know, podcasts, whatever. You what can, do they search, Jack? What do they search? Just Miracle Larry? Uh, yes, yeah, search for Miracle Larry, and that's what they'll find. Um, and you'll probably see the logo that's behind Larry's head. That will be the logo that you'll see um, and you can recognize. Um, you can find links that can go right to the podcast on social media channels, whether that's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and you can also listen to the Miracle Larry podcast on the MiracleLarry.com website that Larry and Steve have set up. And then we have a YouTube channel where you can actually watch this video of us um, talking to each other as we're doing here today. So please go there, subscribe. Um, please go there and give us a five-star rating. Um, those giving us a five-star rating, Larry, what can we do for them? Uh, how can we you know, stack the deck? We're going to make t-shirts. <laughs> You'll get t-shirts. It'll be a five-star Miracle Larry t-shirt. I heart Miracle Larry. <laughs> fabulous marketing idea. Next week on the podcast and the week after, we're going to get right into the Miracle Larry story. And you're going to hear um, my podcast sort of as a prelude to Larry coming to Dallas to give a big lecture at a medical conference that we also made into the other video cast. And you'll hear that um, two weeks from now. So you'll hear a podcast that where I'm introducing the Miracle Larry story and what I went through um, in watching him while he was in the ICU and about to die. And then he'll get on and tell his story the week after. And then we're going to give a little commentary on that. So tune in 
in the next two weeks to get some of the details on this story. Larry, this is fun. Jack, okay. good luck, man. Good to see you. All right. We'll do it again. Tune in. Bye-bye.